Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we meet in the Archbishop's Corner, it's always a new adventure, a journey in faith. And today's journey takes us beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, to resurrection life. We are people of hope. Some wise person once said, In my deepest, darkest moments, what really got me through was a prayer. Sometimes my prayer was, help me. Sometimes my prayer was, thank you. What I've discovered is that an intimate connection and communication with my Creator will always get me through because I know my support, my help, is just a prayer away. And it is through prayer that faith can be strengthened. Faith in resurrection life. And our local guide to faith is Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. With just the answer to one question, he may help move us along on life's journey to successfully live out our faith and navigate our way through the challenges of our contemporary world. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you on this Pentecost Sunday? Very well, thank you. With Pentecost and the infusion of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, counsel, fortitude, piety, fear of the Lord, we should have an outstanding show today, huh? Well, we, <laughs> we hope that it is, as the Italians say, pieno di spirito santo, that it's filled with the Holy Spirit. In celebrating the Feast of Pentecost marks the day, obviously, when the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles 50 days after Easter. The Holy Spirit gave the apostles the gifts to fulfill the Great Commission to go out and to preach the gospel to all nations. Now, Pentecost is often referred to as the birthday of the church. Why is that? Well, because the apostles, who were terrified and locked up out of fear in the upper room, uh, they, when the gift of the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they threw open the doors and literally preached Christ from the housetops. And it's the, so it's considered kind of the birthday of the church in the sense that that's when they really uh, were filled with the courage and wisdom and the gifts of the Spirit to go out and boldly. That's a wonderful New Testament word in the Acts of the Apostles, boldness. They went out with boldness to bear witness to Christ and to call people to faith. And we know they paid a price for that from the very beginning. But remember how fearful they were at the crucifixion, yeah. running away and Peter denying him three times. And, and even after the resurrection, like I say, being locked up in a room for fear. And all of a sudden they became fearless. And uh, thank goodness, because it's only through that that we're believers in Christ today. You know, they went out and made more disciples. And of course, we now have that responsibility today. If there's going to be Catholics around in uh, 21, uh, the year 21, 23, uh, it's because people today are handing on the faith. And so we have to have the gift of the Holy Spirit to do that as well. I think it's becoming more and more difficult to proclaim and live the faith in our contemporary society today, don't you? Well, it's always difficult to live the faith. We are sinful creatures. We have to fight against our corrupt nature, against, uh, as the triple um, saying goes, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so it's always hard. But it's precisely the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to overcome those things and to run, as St. Paul says, to run the race, to, to fight the good fight, 
to finish the race uh, and to win the crown. That's what we have to do. I don't, you know, people's faith is not just some sentimental little corner of their life. It means standing up and being counted. Let me share with you something that I saw on television this past week that kind of frightened me because I hadn't seen it before. And I'd like your reaction to this. Hi, I'm Ron Reagan, an unabashed atheist. And I'm alarmed, as you may be, by the intrusions of religion into our secular government. That's why I'm asking you to join the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the nation's largest and most effective association of atheists and agnostics working to keep state and church separate, just like our founders intended. Please join the Freedom From Religion Foundation today. Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. That shocked me. Oh, it doesn't shock me. There's a lot of that going around. They take full-page ads out in the newspapers. But, you know, this is nothing new. I mean, it's it's always been part of the church's uh, struggle. There's always the voice of faith calling us in the world, and there's the voice of unbelief. Obviously, religion in the United States, we have our freedom of uh, religious, uh, not only belief, but of practice— and I think part of the, the difficulty now, of course, is that so much of our culture and moral sense was formed by religion, not necessarily even just Christianity, but I think of Judaism in particular and, and other religions, uh, to give a certain commonality about shared beliefs about uh, uh, life and virtue as opposed to vice. And now, of course, as those things are collapsing around us, and vice is actually becoming promoted as a uh, very legitimate choice, and not only a choice, but something to be promoted. Naturally, people who ascribe to such things, they find religion to be a threat and to be a contradiction. And so they don't want to, 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 to have a society in which religious beliefs can inform uh, the uh, public life and private life. Uh, they want to get away from all that. And uh, so I'm not, I mean, I, I'm well aware that these, these groups exist. Yeah, they, yeah. I suppose they, they're just bolder now than they used to be. There, I think there's that's, always that, that undercurrent in society, certainly. I think that's the, the word, they're bolder now, because I think some four or five years ago, you would have never seen an ad like this on broadcast television. Well, religion is in great decline in the United States, you know. I mean, all these surveys and studies that are done, you know, we as Catholics, we have only to open our eyes when we go to church on Sunday. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, thank God. But we take for granted that, uh, you know, there are going to be a lot of empty spaces around us at Mass. We look at the incredible decline in the number of children, even in uh, families that go to church. We see the the moral um, winter that has come upon us with regard to respect for life mm-hmm. and uh, the dignity of the human person cr- created as man and woman. All of these things, you know, are really uh, quite powerful. And uh, so it means that persons who are people of faith have to stand up and be counted. And I, I shudder to think, you know, how many... Jesus says, if you if you build your house on his word, when the rains come and the winds blow and beat that house, it will stand because it's built on rock. And the, when you build your house on sand, if you don't, uh, follow his teaching, then he says it will collapse. And what a collapse it will have. And Jesus also said to St. Peter, you are the rock on which I'll build my church. So already we're talking not just about some vague sentimentality about Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, but we're talking about the living uh, magisterium, the living teaching of the church that's been handed on uh, through the apostles and their successors 
through the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday of all days, you know, here we are talking about Jesus says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all the truth. He told that to the apostles. Mm -hmm. And he said to St. Peter, you know, I will build my church on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we have to be courageous and we have to stand up and be counted. And many are they who are going to fall. There are many people who are being so seduced and deluded in the area of uh, uh, truth and morality, right living. It's really quite shocking and we better get used to it if we're not already because I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But in the end, Christ said, you know, in the world will you, you'll have trouble, but fear not because I have conquered the world. And I hope each and every one of our listeners who is a believing, practicing, devout Catholic and any other people, or, or religious people of goodwill to, who, who subscribe to the fundamental truths of faith and morality, hang on to your hats and be prepared for a rough ride. But I hope that people will persevere. You know, it's St. Augustine that said, it's not how you start that counts. Uh, the great virtue is perseverance because it's how you end that really counts. Is the, you got me all pumped up here with well, your atheist well, commercial. Well, I was pumped up, too, when I first heard that as well. And therefore, I, I thought I needed to get your reaction to it. And, and I thank you for that. One of the things that I would think would help us is the practice of the faith. Certainly, if we don't practice our faith, if we don't exercise our faith in what we believe, then we are certainly subject to any kind of theory or atheistic principle that comes along. Well, Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. And look at the tremendous indifference of so many people who call themselves Catholic and they don't even go to Mass on Sunday and don't receive the sacraments. And I don't say that uh, to exercise my priestly uh, impatience or frustration, but for your own sakes, uh, if that's what Jesus said, then don't sit home and and not go to Mass and not practice your faith. And I think we, we just have to be calling people and giving them good example and praying for people that there'll be a great revival of faith in our country, particularly in our own Catholic Church. That's why the bishops are having this uh, effort to make a great Eucharistic revival uh, in our country, because that's at the heart of everything. The yeah. Holy Eucharist is the heart and soul uh, of everything. It's the way that Jesus gives himself and communicates his life uh, to us. And I'm not making this up because he said it. Anybody that reads the gospel can see for themselves what he said about this. And uh, so we just have to uh, do our best, encourage, admonish, pray uh, that people come to their senses and start to put their faith into into practice, not just by being nice and charitable, as essential as that is, but by receiving the sacraments and, and coming together in church. Diverging for a moment from that, which is a very important topic for sure, uh, let's just take a look at some of the things that are going on this current week coming up. The first thing is that today, May 28th, is a classic line from a memorable series of books and movies Bond. James Bond. Penned by Ian Fleming, British novelist, born 115 years ago today. Are you a fan of the James Bond books and films? Well, no, I, I've never read any of the books. I did go to see the movies, but I know I'm going to date myself here. <laughs> I thought some of the early James Bond movies were funny. You know, they were entertaining. Yeah. They were uh, almost kind of uh well you know slapstick they were kind slapstick of. a little yeah. bit but they were they were funny but then i i found over time and i'm dating myself here i mean this is purely a personal opinion 
but they became these great pyrotechnical kind of uh, things with all these fantastical uh, battles and flashes and, and, and weapons. Hollywood and just, special effects. Yeah, I didn't I didn't find them as clever or as entertaining. And so now I, I at a certain point I lost interest. Tomorrow, May 29th, is a pretty big day. First with Memorial Day and then with the 106th birth anniversary of President John F. Kennedy and finally with Prayer for Peace Memorial Day. A day of prayer for permanent peace. The day has been observed on the last Monday of May since 1948. How important of a role do you think prayer plays in achieving peace at all levels of humanity? Even when Our Lady appeared at Fatima uh, in 1917, didn't she say uh, in the midst of the First World War how important it was to pray for peace, Mm -hmm. uh, to pray the rosary in particular for peace? That's been a great theme through the 20th century and until now in the church. And, of course, the 20th century was the most horrific century of destruction and war in human history, you know, the world, two world wars, and not to mention the, the agony and suffering and violence perpetrated by Nazism and, and Marxism, communism. Uh, so, yes, we have to pray for peace. We have to be, as St. Francis's prayer says, make me an instrument of your peace. So we have to be agents of peace ourselves, but we also need to, to pray for that gift because there's always threats to peace in a sinful world. And right now, of course, there's so many. We need peace in, in Ukraine and so many other countries where there is uh, oppression and, and violence and suffering. Uh, we need peace in our own country, which is more and more polarized and uh, angry about everything. Uh, yeah, we, we really do need to pray. We need to put it into practice in our own personal life, but we also need to pray for the gift of peace. Well, tomorrow is also observed as International Day of United Nations Peacekeepers, a day to pay tribute to all the men and women who have served the United Nations in peacekeeping operations. The United Nations peacekeeping has been around since the inception of the United Nations in 1948, and today there are over 100,000 peacekeepers all over the world working on 13 missions to end bloodshed. How much of an impact has the Catholic Church had in promoting peacekeeping endeavors across the world. For instance, the Pope frequently has been involved in peace talks, and currently papal efforts are being made to bring Russian President Vladimir Putin and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky together for peace talks. Well, obviously the Church always wants to be a promoter of peace among nations and put an end to war. I think this was, I mean, this was true always, certainly in modern times, given the kind of wars that are fought and the kind of ideologies that have uh, been such a force for evil. The popes have spoken out about this uh, tremendously, even before the Second Vatican Council. But with the council, this also, you know, was uh, with, the, with the understanding of the threat of nuclear war being so frightening uh, that the council and popes subsequently have talked about uh, the need for peace. But we do live in a sinful world. And, uh, you know, we're not going to have paradise here on earth, but we struggle to restrain uh, the forces of violence and war and hatred and, and ideology because ideology is a gr- has been a huge uh, impetus for, for wars that are just oppression uh, in, in the name of an ideology. The United Nations, well, you know, it creates a forum for talking about things that hopefully has some good effect. But I think so, and the Holy See has been a big participant in that uh, very early, I think, from the beginning. But uh, we have to do on all fronts what we can, beginning with ourselves, to be people of peace. 
Wednesday, we observe the Feast of the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And this feast is, we realize, the visit of the Blessed Virgin Mary to her cousin Elizabeth shortly after the Annunciation. Do you want to comment on this feast? I guess it's not a major feast, but it is one of the Blessed Virgin, huh? Well, whatever is written in Scripture is for a purpose and for our edification. And uh, this visitation of Mary to her cousin Elizabeth, of course, it's given us these beautiful, uh, you know, the beautiful uh, prayers that we use every day in the office, the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Beautiful. Uh, all of these things. So it, it, uh, all of Christ's mysteries and those of his mother in the scriptures bear uh, meditating. Because we have to remember, this is the living word of God. It's not just a dead historical record. And so to the, to the extent that we meditate on them and we pray them, uh, we, uh, we derive benefit for ourselves and for the church and the world. Let's take a look now at our gospel reading on this Pentecost Sunday, the 28th day of May. And our reading for today is taken from the 20th chapter of John's Gospel. And after this dramatic presentation, we'll talk with you further about the meaning for Pentecost in our own lives. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So, Archbishop, on this Pentecost Sunday, please set the stage for us as to the situation with the apostles on their first Pentecost, what it meant for them, and then what it means for us today. Yes, well, we're reading it far into the Easter season, but actually it is a gospel that tells us something that happened at the beginning, and that is the apostles, after Christ's crucifixion, were locked up out of fear that the same thing was going to happen to them that happened to Jesus, that they were going to be crucified or killed. And they also, ancient uh, Hebrews, the Jews, had a, a, uh, a belief in, in the dead returning in, go, in a ghostly form. And when Jesus appears to them in this fashion, they were terrified uh, that he was going to uh, condemn them and berate them for the betrayal, that they, that for, for running away from him. But what, does Jesus, what are Christ's first words to these frightened apostles? He says, peace be with you, shalom. Uh, and showed him his hands and his side. And they rejoice uh, because it means that he is not holding against them their lack of faith and their uh, running away, uh, but he is offering the gift of peace, shalom. And then he gets right to the heart of the matter and says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And what is that about? Well, sent where? Into the world to proclaim Christ and the good news of the gospel. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Again, unleashing this whole sacramental economy of the sacrament of penance, of the ability for those who have been ordained in the sacrament of holy orders that Christ himself instituted at the Last Supper uh, for, for them to confer the forgiveness of sins. 
it was one of the protests against a miracle that Jesus had performed when he said, someone's sins forgiven, your sins are forgiven. And somebody said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And of course, in that instance, it was Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, God in the flesh, who was saying these words. And now he's saying to his apostles, uh, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. There again, we're at the heart of sacramental life, of what Christ himself has given us. He's given us his body and blood in Holy Communion in words that could not be clearer in the Gospels. And here he's saying in words perfectly clear that this, the church is able to, through the work of the apostles, the ministry of the apostles, able to actually absolve sins. But in it all, the main thing is peace, shalom be with you. And because of this, the apostles threw open those locked doors They literally went and preached Christ from the housetops, as we read in the Acts of the Apostles. Thousands of people were becoming Christian, and we're here 2,000 years later as Catholics because of what happened in this gospel, because Jesus did for them what he said he would do and sent them out, and he's sending us out to do the same thing. Well, the Holy Spirit certainly did wonders for those first apostles. Why not now? And if the Holy Spirit can do things for us now, should we be addressing our prayer to the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, and the Church does appropriately. I mean, we have our Trinitarian faith. We pray, you know, uh, when every uh, oration at Mass at the beginning says we make our prayers with the Father and Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. I mean, it, it is a Trinitarian prayer that is very much the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And what can we do? Well, every person is called to live their baptism and their confirmation, uh, to live the gift of the Holy Spirit that they've been given. The Holy Spirit gives us the strength and the courage, all those gifts of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Scripture that are summarized in the Catechism of the Church, all those gifts, and people have different gifts. Some have a a particular charism or gift in one way, different from another. But we all, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to bear witness to the truth, to bear witness to our faith, to live our faith, even in difficult and trying circumstances. But if we become indifferent to it, if we don't practice our faith, if we don't pray, or if we don't believe it, well then, you know, what can, God is not going to force us uh, to work against our own will. So we have to always be asking for for that uh, power of the Holy Spirit to be at work within us. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Sue from Newtown says, in simple terms, when God made the covenant with Noah, he said he would not destroy everything he created, including animals, birds, etc., by flood again and gave us the signature of this covenant with a rainbow. The deaths due to floods today, is that just an act of nature and not God? Well, God is the author of nature who created nature. And in the scripture, we we see the instrumentality of nature in the Old Testament being used by uh, by God uh, to uh, uh, render a judgment uh, on sin. The natural elements of of weather in the world, including uh, floods and rainbows, are not necessarily a sign of of divine punishment. It's simply the natural order that that is set in motion in creation. Larry from Torrington says, What can I do when family members have turned away from the faith and joined the Protestant church besides pray for them? Do you think that if a faithful Catholic, or perhaps more than one, is praying persistently for a non-Catholic who is earnestly Christian and truth-seeking, that conversion to Catholicism is inevitable? Well, yes, Larry, I think that we believe that our Catholic faith represents the fullness of what Christ intended for his his, uh, church. We also know that in those 
Christians who have historically broken away from full Catholic communion, that there are elements that they have accepted or other elements they've not accepted about uh, what the gospel is, what it means, about its, its, its theology. So, yes, we should pray, and we do pray that those who are not in full Catholic communion will one day be so, whether that's for individuals or ecumenically for the whole Christian world. Ron from Seymour has a very practical question for you. He says, Archbishop, how do you decide at which parishes your priests will serve? Well, Ron, that is a, a question that, of course, has uh, become very um, sensitive and very um, challenging because we simply don't have enough priests uh, to serve today. You know we're praying at every Mass, uh, after every Mass, on at least weekends in our parishes, a prayer for priestly vo- vocations among us. And I can't urge our Catholic people enough to pray that prayer and also to encourage your own sons, grandsons, uh, nephews, uh, good friends, uh, young men who have potential to be a priest to give consideration to it. As far as how we assign our priests, we have a priest personnel board of uh, priests who are appointed, a a committee-like, who with um, Monsignor Shanley, our vicar for clergy, uh, who, who know their brother priests and who, who know the parishes well, uh, make recommendations, and those recommendations then come to me, and I study them and, and we talk about them, and then we try to make the best assignments that we can for the sake of the people and the sake of the priests that we have. On the other hand, we have to understand that we don't have a wide variety of choices to make anymore because there are not enough priests. Crystal from Hartford says, Jesus told his followers to abandon earthly possessions and follow him to have eternal life. But if a person in modern times has a spouse and kids to raise, we have to live in the material world. What balance can you recommend for us to stay close to God? Well, Crystal, the balance is uh, exactly the word that that is the the right choice. You know, one of the great saints of uh, Christian spirituality, St. Francis de Sales, wrote the book, The Introduction to the Devout Life. And he said, you know, holiness for a monk is not the holiness for a soldier, or the path of holiness for a pope is not the same path of holiness as for uh, uh, a father or mother in a family. So uh, I, when you say abandon earthly possessions, I would perhaps say detachment from earthly possessions. I mean, there can be wealthy people who are very saintly because they use their wealth uh, without be taking a vow of poverty, but they use their wealth well to assist uh, others. And there are, are people who, who are uh, living in monasteries who, who have uh, little or nothing uh, because of this state in life. So it's not about abandoning uh, possessions. It's about using uh, possessions and material things to seek first the kingdom of God and to do it in keeping with the obligations of your state in life. Let's see if we can't squeeze one more question in. Archbishop from Tara from Plainville says, During his time on earth, Jesus used two instruments for his ministry, teaching and miracles. There are multiple accounts of miraculous cures he performed, including raising people from death. Yet sometimes when Jesus was asked for a sign of who he was, he refused them. Why would he do this? Wouldn't even more miracles have better shown his power and purpose on earth? Well, Tara, it's because, uh, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, students of scripture talk about the so-called messianic secret. And what this means is that in that gospel in particular, but also in the others, Jesus sometimes says, tell to no one what has happened to you. Don't broadcast this miracle. And why is that? 
because Jesus uh, performed these signs, as they were called, in order to bring people to faith, to accept him, to understand that he was the Messiah sent from God. And what was his job as a Messiah? Was it to heal this person or that person or just perform these miracles? No, it was to die on the cross and rise from the dead. So the, the, the scriptures talk about not telling one until after the resurrection. So that's the reason for this discretion on the part of Jesus. You know, he, when people started to crowd uh, demanding miracles, he often fled from their midst because that's not who he was. He was trying to reveal to them how much more he was than uh, someone who performed miracles, that he was the Lord's anointed, the Messiah. And what is more, that through his death and resurrection, he would perform the greatest miracle of all, and that is the miracle of our salvation opening to us eternal life. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. On this Pentecost Sunday, Lord, we pray for a new Pentecost in our time, that, as Pope St. Paul VI said, that the church's sails would be filled again with the wind, the breath of the Holy Spirit, to propel us along to be witnesses to the truth, to be firm in our faith, to call the world to repentance and faith, and to hasten that day when Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. So we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner for a wonderful discussion on this Pentecost. We uh, hope you have a wonderful day, and may it be memorable for all of us. Well, good. You got me all fired up today, and that's the perfect way to be on Pentecost Sunday, fired up. Absolutely. Obviously, it was very evident that the Holy Spirit has descended upon us all and was with you today. God bless. Thank you.